Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Sanya Faruqi show. Joining us today, we have somebody from a very sunny Los Angeles, Adrian Lawrence. She's an on-air legal commentator and inclusion speaker. Adrian reaches her audiences through informative, thought-provoking conversations, particularly on matters within the realm of gender and racial equity. When she's not educating professionals on diversity and inclusion as a principal consultant for Jennifer Brown Consulting, Adrian hosts Overruled for the Young Turks. Adrian recently wrote Staying in the Game, the playbook for workplace sexual harassment, which has received multiple awards, including two international book awards for 2021 and the 2021 Axiom Business Book of the Year in the category of women and marginalized groups in the workplace. In 2015, Adrian started her broadcast career at ESPN as an anchor and legal analyst, after which she went on to become a women's media center progressive voice of 2018 and among take the leads 2020 top 50 women who can change journalism. Adrian, it is wonderful to have you on the Sanya Faruqi show. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me, Sanya. Adrian, can you tell us what happened at ESPN that led you to go ahead and file a sex discrimination lawsuit against the network? Did you face a lot of backlash when, when, when you did this? Well, what happened at ESPN happens at a lot of workplaces around the country here in the United States. It's the fact that we have workplace sexual harassment where women are subjugated and also other marginalized groups. And the thing that a lot of people don't understand is that sexual harassment is not about sexual attraction in any form or fashion. It is about power. And it's individuals using power plays to subjugate other people. And so when we have those dynamics going on, what we also need to have is a system that fights back against it. But unfortunately, a lot of workplaces, they allow it to persist. And as a result of that, there are a lot of losses significantly for the business, but also there are a lot of individual losses. Uh, when I had to leave ESPN, it set your career back. But there are things that are important in fighting for. And so some of us have to stand up and fight and few of us do, but the ones that do can make change. You fought and eventually there was a settlement. Has this entire incident impacted your career or your personal life in any way? One of the main reasons why we don't see women fight back or speak up or, um, you know, hold people accountable when there are harassments that happen in their workplace or any other space is because of the backlash that they're going to face. Did you face any backlash? And if you did, how did you cope with that? Oh, without question, I faced backlash um, from colleagues, people who were purportedly friends, uh, you know, because the reality is that our system is structured a certain way. It is structured in favor of the patriarchy, as well as a system of white supremacy. And so when you challenge those things in any form or fashion, you are going to get pushback, even from people who look like you. And, you know, but again, it is important that people stand up because we have to change the system. If we're truly gonna call ourselves a nation of equity where all men and women and non-binary people are created equally and deserve equal opportunity and chance, then we do have to enforce the laws, which is a law against workplace sexual harassment. And so having to go through the struggle and the battle of fighting that it, it is difficult, but at the same time, it is rewarding, it's important, and it's significant. And we need more people to use their voices, their resources, and fight back. Yeah. Uh, you often use the word harasshole. So tell us what that means. Who's an harasshole? 
In my book, Staying in the Game, I refer to individuals who engage in sexual harassment as harassholes, because the fact is that sexual harassment is endemic. It's not an epidemic, it's endemic. It's a natural and enduring part of most women's work lives. And so this is something that happens all the time. So let's just kind of call it what it is. I, I understand that it can be for some people, a very touchy subject, but because of how common it is and how much it permeates our everyday lives, let's just be real about it. We are surrounded by harassals a lot of times. And these are the people who like to use power plays and they like to use gender dynamics and reinforce traditional gender roles, pigeonhole you, make you uncomfortable, make you feel small. They are definitely harassals. Yeah, that's a powerful word that you've come up with. I'm going to read out a little passage from a study that's published in the Harvard Business Review. It's part of an article called Why Sexual Harassment Programs Backfire. Quoting it, it says, neither the training programs that most companies put all workers through, that's the training programs for all employees to explain what behaviors the law forbids and how to file a complaint, nor the grievance procedures that they have implemented are helping to solve the problem of sexual harassment in the work place. In fact, both tend to increase worker dissatisfaction and turnover. The programs and procedures that the Supreme Court in America favored in 1998, the Supreme Court ruled in two separate cases that companies could protect themselves from hostile environment harassment suits by instituting votes amounts to little more than managerial snake oil. They're doing more harm than good. So my question is, why are organizations repeatedly failing to keep sexual harassment or any other form of abuse in workplace in check, despite the training and gender sensitive awareness programs? Well, the organizations aren't fighting sexual harassment, which is completely and totally preventable. Yes, I said workplace sexual harassment is preventable. Organizations aren't doing anything about it because it's not truly costing them at the level that it could to their knowledge. People don't realize it, but organizations are just groupings of individuals. And we live in a society where again, it supports the patriarchy and white supremacy. So organizations will unfortunately also do the same thing, whether they're aware of it or not, they will support the power structures in our society. Even though it's extremely costly to have workplace sexual harassment continue to go on, because you have to remember that people when they are subject to harassment, no matter the type of it, they're going to play small. They're not going to contribute their fullest uh, ability and really, really make the level of significant um, contributions they could in the workplace. So that's a loss of human capital. There's also plenty of studies out there, many of which were published in the Harvard Business Review that I talk about in my book, Staying in the Game, when I discuss the full chapter on the cost of it, that companies know these things. They realize the cost, but reinforcing the power structures to most all of these companies it outweighs any kind of cost any kind of loss and it's very unfortunate but that's how our society operates where we would rather reinforce power structures and then take home additional pay in our pockets in this entire process, are we also failing to put the spotlight on the HR departments of company where we often see either the investigation is inconclusive and leads to no punishment to the person who is abusive or harassing women, even if there are multiple complaints against that individual? Is the HR responsible and is it failing to protect female women employers and stop harassment in those organizations? 
Well, we have to ask ourselves, what are HR departments really supposed to do? Because at the end of the day, they work for the company. So they are in the job of protecting the company's interests. And so this is something I, I really break down in my book. The fact is that HR is not here for you. It is here to protect the company. So oftentimes it will, it will shield harassment. It will enable behavior. These are things that even though they are technically illegal, again, the system that we live in, the justice system has not set up consequences enough for these organizations, these HR departments. There are not enough consequences out there to disincentivize them from engaging in and continuing to uh, cultivate workplace sexual harassment. Because again, organizations will continue to bolster the power structures until there is enough of a detriment out there that really discourages them from taking that path mm -hmm. as they will continue to take. Yeah. Coming to your book, Staying in the Game, the playbook for beating workplace sexual harassment, it's one of the most powerful writing and texts that I have come across. And I read it very intently um, around uh, the time that it was launched. And it's literally a strategic guide, you know, chapter by chapter. And when you're reading it, as a reader, you realize you have many light bulb moments because you realize that a particular action or a behavior accounts to harassment or a form of bullying, gaslighting or abuse. So tell our audience a little about your book and tell us what made you write it. You know, Sonia, you did such a good job in kind of breaking that down already. Um, my book, Staying in the Game, The Playbook for Beating Workplace Sexual Harassment, it is a guide. It is a manual. Yet at the same time, as odd as it sounds, it's somewhat fun because I love studies and I love research, but I get that it can be boring. So what I do is try to make it as easy to understand, digestible, and as entertaining as possible, incorporating and weaving in real people's real life stories to give examples. So that individuals reading it will be able to have those aha moments where they realize that maybe an experience they have is considered sexual harassment. Because unfortunately, we live in a society where the information that we get is not necessarily the truth, rather it supports the power structures. Yeah. I give that information as clearly as possibly in an entertaining way so that people can flip to a page and they know, hey, these are the not safe for work coworkers, or this is what I need to consider before I decide whether I'm going to go to HR to report someone who's harassing me, or these are the things I want to go over before I hire a lawyer. This is a step-by-step -step guide. Having been and still is a lawyer myself, I incorporate all of those things, whether it's journalism, law, or that sociology perspective of this is why workplace sexual harassment goes down so that I can give to readers essentially what I needed and what every individual out there needs when they're facing harassment in the workplace. Absolutely. And I think it's a book that every woman professional should have in their bag. You know, they need to read it. So thank you for writing that book. Moving on, do you think we're seeing a change in the culture when it comes to women coming out and speaking, especially in the last couple of years during the Me Too movement? Do you think women have more courage now to hold their abusers accountable? Has the movement, Me Too movement, made any change? Of course, there's a lot of disappointment. Of course, they're saying the Me Too movement failed. But if you look at it from the trajectory from where we were 10 years ago, where nobody ever spoke out to in the, what we've seen in the last couple of years, do you think there's a positive change? Uh, okay, so I do think that there is a positive change. I, as I note in my book, the fact is that we didn't have individuals speaking out or standing up. And at the time when I was going against ESPN and I had started initiating um, essentially 
fighting and standing up to them. Me Too had yet to start. Me Too started after my fight started. And so in being in that space where I was willing to stand up and I was going forward with it without having that movement behind me, it, it, it's a very isolating, lonely place. And then Me Too came. Me Too has been good for creating support mechanisms, allowing women, uh, primarily women, to use social media to talk about what is going on and to tell the truth about the oppressors in their lives and professional lives as well as personal lives and the, uh, the consequences of their actions and how it is impacting them. And so that's a beautiful thing. At the same time, we have not seen that across the board for all women, particularly here in the United States during Me Too, you heard stories primarily from wealthy white women. That was something that was uplifted or just white women in general. And that was something that was given credence. But when it came to black women who suffer what we file more than three times the amount of workplace sexual harassment complaints with the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission than white women do. We suffer workplace sexual harassment the most because again, it's about power and maintaining dominant power structures. And so when we have an opportunity for women of all colors, of all ages, races, income levels, class, to feel that they can come forward and hold their oppressors accountable, that's when we will have truly made the progress that we need, but we have yet to have that. Yeah, but over the past couple of months, there's been a lot of editorial changes in newsrooms across America. And by that, I mean, we're seeing a lot of women who are leading key American news outlets, and it's all very historic. But the question is, can women leaders or will women leaders in top position help overcome and curb sexual harassment in workplace? Can they break the culture of misogyny, sexism, and patriarchy? What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, that's a really good question. And it is something I address in the book, uh, my book, Staying in the Game. The fact is that generally when individuals rise in a power structure, that maybe marginalized individuals, when they rise, they tend to take on the characteristics of the dominant class. So when we have people of color or women rising in a predominantly white male industry or company, they tend to take on the characteristics of white men, which may be to suppress and oppress. And as a result of that, there may be women in positions of leadership, but without having more women, more people of color, without having that true equal distribution, what we're going to end up seeing is marginalized individuals who rise to the top end up just being the same as the individuals who are already there, and thus there will be no change. And so we need people not only to use their voice, but to be truly represented, to be truly represented in power, and also to maintain their autonomy and know what they stand for and not acclimate to those at the top when they finally get there. And coming to my last question, since we are running out of time, what would your advice be for women who are working in newsrooms, which may or may not be hostile? I mean, that's the ideal dream that we hope for. But what would your advice be for women professionals out there? My advice for any woman professional working in newsroom is as simple as it says to get my book, Staying in the Game. And I say that because it holds all the keys, everything you need from how to essentially document, 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 keep those receipts, be prepared. Um, I teach you and give you all the sociological techniques and skills for identifying harassals in advance 
so you know how to stay away from them, how to navigate getting away from them in the event that anything were to go public, how to handle that, also how to potentially rebuild your career in the event that you are in a position where you stand up for yourself and you have to fight. These things are essential. Just as we know how to navigate pay in workspaces, we need to know how to navigate workplace sexual harassment because it will happen to you. It's not if it happens, it's when it happens. And the question is, will you be prepared? So I suggest without question is by staying in the game, the workplace for <laughs> the playbook for beating workplace sexual harassment <laughs> because it will save your career. No, I absolutely agree with you on that. And even I would urge whoever is watching to get your book. I'm not doing any sort of promotion over here, but because I've read the book and I know that it's it's a very powerful uh, book and, and it's, it's, it's a strategic guide. Like I think all women need to have it and own it and read it and be inspired like how we've all been. Thank you so much, Adrian. It was absolutely wonderful having you on the Sanya Faruqi show and having this very amazing conversation with you. And, uh, you know, we're matching Pink Pink. So I'm also very happy about that. So thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Sonia. I appreciate it. And for those of you who've joined us, thank you so much for watching. I hope you will subscribe to our YouTube channel, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Spotify. And do subscribe to our newsletter to get all the updates on the Sanya Faruqi show. I'm going to be seeing you again next week.